Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast, brought to you by Flowpath. I'm your host, Griffin Hamilton. This is the show where I interview industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights into modern day facilities management. From hospitality to commercial real estate and everything in between, we'll learn what it really takes to succeed as a facilities manager. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Today, I am pleased to have Anthony Terendi join the show. Anthony, how you doing? Hello, Griffin. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thanks for, for taking the time to uh, come on the show. I know uh, I'm excited to talk and deep dive in facilities because you have a very interesting idea uh, on the industry as a whole and where it's going. But before we uh, deep dive here, why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about who you are and what it is you do in facilities management? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, I would first describe myself as a janitor, so that's where I start. Um, that's my background. I am within janitorial services, custodial services, so my background starts in soft services and really branches out and has grown from there within the building maintenance industry, growing into kind of safety, safety programs, corporate compliance, and then moving up, you know, up the stream into more real estate and a little bit more of a holistic approach. And it's really given me that kind of uh, awareness of there are different types of root causes to potentially solution things at a more holistic level um, as we take a bigger picture approach when we look at FM. Um, so that's, that's why I'm here. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. And just curious, how did you get into the industry? Uh, I needed a job. So, you know, recession hit mid 2000s. Uh, I had a history degree, love history, love contractual management, um, pre-law. So that's kind of part of my background, why I kind of gravitated and was able to capture on. And I just became a floor tech at the University of Pennsylvania, um, working second shift, making $7.90, just like everyone else, part of a union. And I had some great leaders, recognized um, some upside, let's say. Um, I was asking some, some interesting questions, I guess, back then. And they recognized some upside, got connected with a management and training program. Um, and really, it was off to the races from there, because then you're connecting when you start connecting contracts with blue collar work ethic, you, the FM industry from an opportunity standpoint is the world, you know, the sky's the limit. If you have the work ethic, if you have an open mind, you have some emotional intelligence and you really approach things from a, a, a collaborative effort, in my opinion, you're really going to solution some things. And that's ultimately a, a lot of opportunity. And as well as within the FM industry, there's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of forethought that's put into this industry in my experience, um, in general, um, again, mm -hmm. I'm generalizing here. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity for it. So I've just been lucky enough to kind of hit the ground running. And again, had some great leaders in my experience kind of encourage me to ask questions, be curious, and and kind of break through the glass of each level. Because then as you break through that glass, the picture from an FM perspective really becomes more and more clear as you get your hands in more and more things. Sometimes that's scary for folks, but sometimes it also makes you uh, leverage solutions in a more effective manner. Yeah, and it's interesting that you started out in <clears throat> as a janitor, right? Like on the floor where you've evolved and you've grown, uh, moved your way up the, the chain of command there. Uh, but what's really fascinating, and you're the first person I've talked to that had this background where you're pre-law. 
And you connected the dots. And I wanted to go back to that because I think a lot of people on the outside of facilities think of it as, you know, turning wrenches, which there's a lot to that, right? Getting your hands dirty, but the contract side negotiation, uh, leveraging that type of uh, relationship building, that is important. How did, how long did it take you to realize that there is a, a pretty smooth, uh, I guess, transition or connection between the pre-law world you're in and, and facilities management? Yeah, it, it honestly hit me pretty quickly um, because of kind of the genesis of what we do. So always I was within contracted services. So that's your JLLs, your CBREs, Sodexos, Aramarks. And ultimately, no matter what we're doing, we're starting out reading our contracts. So right away, I mean, that's just, again, within my background, that's just how it started. Um, and connecting the liability game. And then you start going whisper down the lane with liability. And as you start pulling threads, even, even as a janitor, a simple supervisor, you start understanding the game of liability. That's scalable no matter where you're going. So if it's the liability game as, you know, when I was coming up as a supervisor on the floor of a hospital unit, that liability of, hey, nurse manager, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to document that I'm taking care of this or I'm going to document that I shouldn't because of whatever reason that you're giving me, you guys are having popcorn in your nurse's lounge, so I can't strip my floors, I'll document that. And then when you know Joint Commission comes around or your state regulators come around, we'll, we'll have a conversation. And when you lay it out transparently, effectively like that, more times than not, you're gonna get the solution you're looking for. You have to be mindful of being a bull in a china shop and have a little bit of that emotional intelligence and kind of taking a step back most times because a lot of us as facility managers, we're get it done people. Um, so you have to kind of hold ourselves back a little bit. But by leveraging um, our brains, uh, I think, you know, we're, we're able to kind of break down barriers in a different way than we're traditionally thought of. It also helps that we are traditionally hamstrung in the FM industry as Again, I'll, I'll say it kind of knucklehead slobs and it, it ultimately works again for us if we're able to kind of turn the tables and surprise people with a little bit of thought and a little mm -hmm. bit of uh, proactivity. And, and you've mentioned emotional intelligence now a couple of times. Uh, let's let's stop there and deep dive because that, that is something where, you know, you, you, you've grabbed my attention because that isn't something that we've talked about on the show. What exactly do you mean by emotional intelligence and how is that something where that separates a great facilities manager from someone that's just going through the motions? Yeah. So as you're doing, you know, your your order of magnitude assessments in a facility, right? Like, what are my problems? Just just basic stuff. What are my problems? Right. And you're, you're doing that assessment you're then more than likely going to determine who are my barriers, who are my obstacles within that, within your own interdepartmental groups, right? Is that my engineering colleagues? Is that my quality assurance folks? Is that my finance group? Because they won't write the check, right? Find out who are your barriers. Um, find out who are key allies as you're performing that risk assessment. Because ultimately, if you're going to try to go into this alone, which a lot of folks I find do, you're going to lose. At the end of the day, we as FM providers, we are drains on budgets. We are just an empty sieve. So whenever we come to ask for money, it's not generating revenue more than likely. Yeah, we may give savings targets and things back. But ultimately, remember that whoever you're talking to, we're a drain. Not saying we're not important. We are very vital to the operating budget. We also typically op or we also typically manage most corporations' operating budgets anywhere from 1% to 7% of their operating budget within the facilities realm. So we are very important. And we should have the respect um, that, you know, we all want and, and ask for. 
but it's understanding, again, using that emotion intelligence to know where you are in the pecking order, what kind of allies that you should start cultivating to start driving certain changes that you want. Like, what is the culture? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a big map router. Um, map out what culture you want. And then, ta- and then that might push you into different alliances than you may have had at your previous stop. Maybe in this organization or this professional stop, I want to, you know, there's a lot of documentation within quality control and quality assurance. So I really want to buddy up with them to understand their process to get ahead of, you know, problems on the documentation side that are going to drag down my team, my facility managers. And then ultimately what we're trying to do is solve the ultimate problem, which is time. And then mm-hmm. you get back into time, which is yeah. again, our <laughs> ultimate problem on the facility management side. But again, yeah. just understanding what we're doing, understanding what you're trying to accomplish and understanding you're not going to do it by yourself. You need help. And having that approach, I've always found, uh, you know, been very helpful for me and my growth and my attitude. Yeah. And, and you mentioned culture and I, I want to touch on that because you're right where I think a lot of people look at facilities in this department as, you know, it is cash going out the door and we're not getting anything out of it where, you know, there's several books out there and there's this movement on the healthy building movement, right? And gr- alongside green building movements where if you have the environment that is, uh, it's encouraging people to come to the office and collaborate, then you are getting the most out of your largest investment, the people. And so that's where it's really interesting where that intersection of the traditional mindset of facilities of it's just assets versus the culture and the people there. And so what are your thoughts there on that intersection? Yeah, it's very important. Again, what are you trying to accomplish? What industry are you in? What is your building environment? Are you in an office environment? Are you in a manufacturing environment? Are you in industrial zone? All of that should play into what you're trying to build, what your culture is trying to be, um, the labor market that you're trying to attract, and then connecting the dots back to the assets. So the assets themselves are incredibly important. We need visibility, cost visibility, um, you know, building visibility in what we're doing, because ultimately, you know, the machinery, the tools, the equipment does do most of the job for us. But then we also need to have that intellectual knowledge behind the scenes to understand what these tools and pieces of equipment are. And we need to document that because we need to have handoffs because at the end of the day, I could disappear tomorrow. And if I don't have things documented, if my team doesn't have a clear succession plan and clear kind of chain of custody of how things to act, it becomes chaos. And we all feel it. I mean, again, I've, I've personally been around um, a few dozen, if not a hundred different cultures and companies for at least two weeks at a time throughout my um, experience, professional resume, both within healthcare, corporate environment, pharma, manufacturing, um, you know, all that good stuff. Not everything, but most. There's always that type of disconnect with, oh, our facility manager left and, you know, what are we going to do? And then it takes the next facility manager, whether it was myself or someone, three months to kind of get out of the hole. And typically it's because the communication's not there. It's just tying mm-hmm. that knot. And then you get back to the asset. And it's just like any due diligence that all of us are accustomed to as we're taking on new buildings, new assets, um, new machinery. We're doing that due diligence. But are you doing the due diligence with your people and the culture? And are you connecting the dots with, you know, the assets aren't going to do the jobs, the people are, and then what culture are you breeding? And are you giving your people opportunities to grow? You know, having that type of conversation with your folks, I think, is incredibly crucial because the other problem that we all fall into is 
We get things where we want it to be. It's in cruise control. And then we stop. And, we, and then we, it's really smooth for six months, a year, two years, three years. But if we're not pushing ourselves, if we're not connecting the dots with our assets and our people, and then talking about development plans, growth opportunities, trainings, again, that's how, and as an industry, we fall in that trap of there's going to be a change, whether it's the facility manager, that key HVAC tech that's really the godfather of your program, whatever mm -hmm. it is, they're going to go. And it's going to become chaos again. And it's because you're not really connecting the dots and thinking through um, that intersectionality of both assets and people. Um, assets are just as important as people, but people are more important than assets. Yeah, well said. And uh, something that you mentioned was that documenting that tribal knowledge and the, and, you know, God forbid, you know, you have the worst case scenario of someone actually leaving, right? Um, but not having that plan, not having that all documented. And I think that creating that culture of documentation can be challenging. Have you seen that where people are reluctant to embrace the importance of documentation and just having to keep pushing that to create that culture? Yeah, absolutely. It's, a, it's every day. And you just got to hit it right across the face, in my opinion. I'm very direct. So, you know, maybe again, we all have different personality traits, different styles, different methods. There's a million ways to skin the cat. The, the key is to know who you are, your approach, what you're trying to achieve, and stick to it. Um, so, you know, for myself, it is approaching it directly. So if you have, and I'll use the example of you have an HVAC program that's been running relatively smooth for 10 years. You have one HVAC tech that's essentially running everything. You have a team of 10, but they all filter and, and function through one individual. Um, you need to explain to the team and to that individual, they are the threat that is holding them back. More than likely, that person at the end of the day loves the fact that they're the hero, but they'll also every now and then have that emotional explosion because everything is drawn at them. And taking them, having them step back and realize that, again, they have the best intentions, but they at the end of the day are the root cause. Because they weren't documenting 10 years ago, they get all of the avalanche now. And if we don't start documenting today, next year it's gonna be just as bad. If we start documenting, you're gonna stop getting those on calls at three in the morning because everyone goes to you because you're the only one that's either responsive or actually able to fix it. That was cool 10 years ago because you know you were the hero, but we need to separate, we need to share that information because ultimately life is about work-life balance, about getting paid, about being stable, being there for your family. What motivates you? Oh, we can creatively solution your role into what fits best for you, but ultimately what doesn't fit for anybody, even if you're getting all the money in the world, is working 120 hours a week or working 100 mm -hmm. hours a week, working 80 hours a week. We all get burnt out no matter what we say, and the money's great, the money's great in this industry. But it is too much. And if we don't share the load, if we don't communicate, we're going to fail. And then on top of that, you get into succession planning and you get into training the next generation of FM. And it's got good FM practices have to be handed off to each other because ultimately what's happening, Aramark hands off to Compass, Compass hands off to JLL, JLL hands off to CBRE, CBRE goes back to JLL. If we don't do this documentation correctly and have the bigger picture approach, we're ultimately shooting ourselves in the foot. I know that's kind of a, a bigger 
bigger perspective there. And maybe we can't change everything all around. <laughs> but again, if we all start thinking about that documentation approach, breaking down the barriers and explaining in real time through that unitization conversation, explain to your tech, explain to your old grizzly curmudgeon facility manager, I will save you time. I will get you into the trainings that you keep complaining that the com company can't afford or doesn't have time to send you to. We don't have time to send you to those places because you're constantly responding to calls. You're constantly being mm -hmm. reactive. Think proactively, think ahead. I will get the resources so we can reestablish some stability in our program, but you gotta work with me. And again, sometimes those conversations are rough and sometimes folks still don't understand but 95% of the time, you will break down that barrier when, if you know the person you're talking to, and then it's the emotional intelligence thing again, right? Understanding their psychological profiling, understanding their buying motivation. That doesn't mean what they're purchasing. It just means, you know, how do you get through to them? Some folks, again, is it the work-life balance conversation? Is it stability? You know, what, what is it? Um, and you can break down those barriers pretty easily. If you understand, again, you understand your approach, understand what you're about, understand what you want to achieve. It's all doable, but it's, you know, again, it's having that emotional intelligence to know what you're bringing to the table and what you're trying to achieve as I keep repeating myself. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great point to, to drive home and you go back to that work-life balance and, you know, I've heard this horror story and I'm sure many people out there listening, uh, if they haven't lived it, they may be close to living it where you're coming up on retirement age and you haven't done all of this documentation what you don't want to do is sit on the beach while you're having a Corona and get calls left and right because you didn't document what they're doing. And do you either just ignore it and, you know, good luck to that building or that facility, or like most people take the call and guide them through it and just not enjoy your retirement, right? Like it, if it's retirement, vacation, weekend, whatever it is, like it all stems back into like doing the right thing, documenting it. So selfishly you could enjoy life. Yeah, I mean, that's the key, right? My motivation is I don't want to be bothered. I love my job. I do. <laughs> but I want to work 40 hours a week and I want to go home. So I'm going to be productive. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be, again, it's that time. It's you're fighting time every day. Um, whether it's your shift with your labor forces, it's the equipment and the life cycle of the asset, or it's your own stability and your own mental well-being. So we need to, you know, have a plan and we need to achieve that plan. And things fail all the time. Again, operations happen, right? Things break. Mm -hmm. That's cool. We know it. So you then plan for that. Set your teams up for 80% productivity, 20% reactivity. Whatever, Again, however you want to do it, however you want to work it, but have a plan, have it prepared. And when you go on vacation, you retire. Put that thought in, and I promise you, it will give you those rewards that you just called out that you won't get that call. Or maybe you get one call on vacation instead of 12, you mm -hmm. know, and you're, and it just is smoother. Your hair starts. Goes, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it goes from uh, a vacation to working remote rather quickly. If you don't, if you don't set yourself up right. Um, and in a great way, and I think it's a good segue here, but a great way to capture all of this is through technology. And we've talked about this before, but just the, state of technology in the industry. And it could be overwhelming for a lot of people where I don't think many are going to argue the importance of it, but it's that line of where do I start and where do I stop and what's too much. And so I wanted to get your opinion there. Yeah. And again, ultimately my message is going to keep coming back to what are you trying to achieve? Do you know what you're buying? Cause there's so much snake oil out there. I mean, again, I've made the mistake too. I'm buying a technology. I don't really understand it. It just sounds cool. I have sensors everywhere. Are awesome. But mm -hmm. ultimately what am I buying? What is the competitive market? What am I trying to achieve? 
And also, what is the algorithm? What are the metrics? How is it really tying back? Who's creating the metrics? Who's creating the BAS system behind the scenes? And how is it connecting the dots with the alarm system that's you know going off on my phone and everything? Um, because ultimately, you know, technology has reached the point where I think 10 years ago, the sensors were primitive enough to be really an asset and a supportive augment to our traditional old school facility management program. Now we're at the point where I think, you know, a truly innovative FM program probably could run pretty automated um, with minimal human interaction. But is that realistic? I mean, again, most of us don't work at Facebook. Most of us don't work at Meta or I know that's the same company, but, you know, we don't have the the resources and the budget to, to kind of play with that type of innovation. Most of most of us have to be very targeted with how we utilize the newer technologies. So really, my my recommendation would be focus on what your background is to get yourself into the knowledgeable base of what you're trying to achieve. So for myself, I would be focusing on my soft services, my amenities type software programs to teach me and ultimately lead me into the hard services, the engineering services, the safety compliance the real estate side where I feel a little less strong and then I can start connecting and, and relating the technology and the sensors and what I'm trying to do on the soft services side because I understand it more innately with that hard services side. And ultimately, again, it's understanding what are we trying to achieve and not relying on the sensors. I think at times a lot of us in the last five years or so, and, and again, we all do it, we start relying on technology and assets to do our jobs for us and at the end of the day, rounding is still king. If you're not walking your facility, if you're not putting your boots on the ground, I know we're in a hybrid on-site weird COVID world, even though we're kind of past it now. Um, you got to walk your facility. You cannot rely on your alarm system. You cannot rely on your assets just calling off because at the end of the day, a human created that system. Human constructs are still a thing. And if a human created the system, how sure, just like any other due diligence, how sure are we that that system was created to the way, to the standards we want, to the standards we expect today, and is it giving us what we want tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And if you're not asking yourself those questions, you're just relying on technology just to run, it becomes magic. And I'm personally not in the business of relying on Harry Potter to fix my buildings. <laughs> um, so we need to understand what this is, but then use that again, that human capital, then it goes back to your gut feeling, which we've kind of been going away from as an industry the last 20 years, to me, the pendulum is coming back to you need to balance the metrics because the data dumps are immense. And I love data. Um, grew up in data. It's awesome, but it's immense. And you need to understand what are you looking at from a trend analysis perspective and then still ultimately go with your gut and your experience with what you've done throughout your career, because more than likely your gut's gonna tell you the correct way to analyze those datas, uh, data metrics, um, mm -hmm. and those data dumps. And you know, rely on your gut is my recommendation to folks as we're starting to then go back as, going back to where I started, you're now going into software technologies that you feel comfortable with. So again, my example, my analogy was the, the software, or I'm sorry, soft services, custodial, amenity service type programs you can start again relating those metrics back to to what you want to see. Yeah, and I think a, a key point there, you can't just set it and forget it. 
You know, there there is no magic potion to make everything automated and run perfectly. And there's going to be mistakes in it. And really the value of these different technology platforms is the data for you then to take that data and then interpret it and then go take action from it. Right. Like there's still that human element that ties back to into, you know, making your rounds, having that gut feeling of what exactly you need to do. And so it is a great tool. It's a great resource. We need it. But there is you're going to be very disappointed with you no know, any sort of technology used if you just purchase it, set it, and then think all of your problems have been solved. A hundred percent, especially also now you're getting to the solution development side of things. We as FM providers, if we're developing service solutions for our customers or you know for ourselves, for our companies, you know, relying totally on the data dumps to drive your decision making, if you don't have that gut feeling, you don't have a technical someone behind the scenes listening, you're going to run into problems. Because again, what's going to happen on the procurement side is you're going to have the sales teams look at your traditional in-service FM program. They're going to say, historically, there's 20% bloat or some nonsense, and we're going to save you 20%. And then their procurement group is going to get really excited about saving 20% of their operating spend. They get back. Yeah, and we all know the song and dance, right? You then get the contract or you, you then take over the service and you're like, wait a minute, last year our run rate was $10 million. Now it's $8 million. What happened? And someone's just going to tell you some gibberish about, hey, you know, studies say, you know, that the square footage states that the budget should be this. Mm-hmm. That's the data. That's great. What human actually looked at the sales proposal and vetted it with their human brain, with their technical knowledge, their gut feeling, and balanced and checked that, you know, that process. Um, and I think, again, that's, that's somewhere where we have to kind of open up our eyes because you can't just look at a building and say the square footage is 200,000 square feet and this is the solution. Boom. Mm-hmm. It gets you 80% there, that little problem. But you still need your knowledge, your know-how to drive home to the complete conclusion of what a, a solution development or what a service should be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, Anthony, certainly appreciate your time. This has all been great content here. Uh, I do have one final question for you. Sure. Uh, I ask everybody, and so that is who or what has had the biggest impact on you in your career? Oh, man. Uh, you know, there are, I'll give, I'll give three shout outs uh, out to Dan Hogan, Eric Dickinson, and, and Richard Brown. All three of those leaders and my college professor, Elaine uh, Greenberg, all four of those folks basically instilled in me in this. If you have an open mind and you approach problems in the right way and you ask the right questions and you use political tact, right? You're not a bull in a china shop and you work with folks, you're probably going to get the support you need to get things done. And ultimately, you know, you're going to grow and, and do better. And then the most important part is pay it forward, you know, help out the others. So they really, you know, put me in positions I probably shouldn't have been in and protect me when I made, made mistakes. And that is why I would call out those individuals. And I hope I'm doing the same for those, you know, that support me now in my current roles. Yeah. Well, Anthony, certainly appreciate it. That's incredible. And this has been great to have you on. Um, I'm going to put in the show notes uh, where folks can find you here on LinkedIn. Um, Love to have you on again. Let's certainly stay in touch. And and until then, uh, be good. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Griffin. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Facilities Management Podcast. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and follow us on LinkedIn for more facilities management content.